Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ohioan Podcast. Craig Shop here with George Thomas, our film critic from the Akron Beacon Journal. George, uh, it's been a couple of weeks. How are you doing? Uh, I'm almost back to normal. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Like well, I, yeah. feel like I can breathe. Well, that's good. Uh, well, we've got a full slate of, of films as well. There's plenty to talk about. We're going to be uh, handling mostly streaming here today. The first movie is Prey, which is a prequel, I believe, to the Predator series, which I never knew we'd ever see or ne maybe never needed. But uh, tell us a little bit about Prey. I don't know that we needed it either. You know what? If you had told me back in, uh, let's see. Let's see what it is. I think it was 1984. Uh, if you had told me that I'd be talking about a Predator movie in uh, 2022, I would have laughed in your face <laughs> simply because that movie was so ridiculous and such a sense of... Uh, self-awareness and how ridiculous it was right and i'm sorry it was 1987 that you know you didn't you didn't take it too seriously um it was testosterone it was, it was testosterone overload that's right. the best way to put it arnold schwarzenegger uh jesse the body ventura um carl weathers of it was just yeah. That was a that was a guy's flick. Thirty is it thirty six years, thirteen and twenty two? Now nah, it's thirty five years hence. Predator is now a coming of age story about a a young woman, young Comanche woman in seventeen nineteen America, or what was to be America. And I give him credit for for doing something unique with this. But once you get past that, it's the same old thing. Track predator, kill predator. The The overriding message about the patriarchy is there. And, you know, and because the young warrior wannabe, her name is Nauru. Great performance, by the way. Right. Tremendous performance from her. Um, um, she's a wannabe warrior and, you know, she has to deal with an older brother and his sexist friends who think she should be in, in this case, her TP, mending clothes and uh, cooking food. And she can hunt better than some of them. And she wants to prove herself. Right. Ultimately, She's the only one that realizes amongst the lions and tigers, well, there are no tigers, but the lions and bears, mountain lions, that is, there's something that isn't supposed to be there, and it turns out to be the predator. And what a perfect way to prove herself than to prove this creature's existence and kill him. Along the way, she has to deal with the French settlers Yes, they were in America, in the plains in the 18th century, and fighting other wild creatures um, is what it is. It held my interest for its 130 hour and 39 minute runtime. 
It's got a tremendous performance from uh, Amber Mid-Thunder is her name. She's she's pretty impressive. And it's streaming on Hulu. I mean, if you just want to kill some time, there are a lot worse ways to do so. So there we have it. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, obviously this is a... It's a franchise movie. I mean, it's a it's a predator movie, but instead of trying to get maybe a you know a, some sort of star power to attach to this, we're dealing largely with a, a relatively unknown cast here. I mean, obviously that probably lends itself more to the streaming element of things, where if you were probably going to get A or B list movie stars, you probably would make this a theatrical release. Do you find that maybe to be the the reason for this being set primarily as a streamer only? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was initially set for theatrical release. Okay. And they, they pulled it for Hulu. No explanation given, you know. It's the end of the summer. It's, it's I don't yeah. want to call it, I don't call, I don't want to call it content. It's a movie. I mean, if you've, if you've noticed, I don't know, the, know if you have or not, but new, Programming has kind of slipped since, let's call it mid-July. And, um, you know, this was a way to pump up Hulu. Because, you know, regardless, it's going to have a contingent, a built-in audience who, who have seen all six of those prior films. Right. I mean, I saw the first one in 1987. I was 22. So it was right in my wheelhouse. If I remember correctly, I saw it and I had like four or five beers in me. So, you know, it is it is what it is. Yeah. So, it, that's what it that's what the original was. It's Schwarzenegger, a bunch of buddies killing right. a monster. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds like it's it's not trying to reinvent the wheel here. It's just trying to be fun, but it also sounds like it was probably better than it was supposed to be or should have been or could have been i mean given what you're you know pe- some people might love the predator series some people might not care for it but you know normally you think of movies like this where they're being thrown at you at the end of summer and especially on streamer only that maybe they don't have a lot of confidence in them but i mean it sounds like it's it's a fairly enjoyable time for for really what it's going for like i said is what it is it's dumb fun if you've got that amount of time to kill in the summer like where you are it's getting ready to to storm where i am it looks like it's gonna storm is anybody going out in that nonsense probably not so hey if you got nothing better to do sure take a look won't hurt you if you have hulu that is yeah you gotta have hulu but uh i'm just at this point i'm just glad to see a uh a streamer deciding to to put a movie out there i mean you know we'll talk later about hbo max and some of the things they're getting into but it's uh, it's at least nice to see that uh we're still getting something new here at the end of the summer where normally the theatrical releases are are dumping grounds for not so great movies and then, of course, September is really a dumping ground for not-so-great summer fair. So uh, good to see something's out there. Maybe I'll check it out. It's a breezy hour and 40 minutes. Why not? So, all right. Uh, well, we're going to stick to streaming, and this time we're going to go to Netflix and a very highly anticipated 
uh, series coming out is The Sandman. Now, this will debut on August 5th on Netflix. This is really a lot of excitement with this. Tell us a little bit about The Sandman. Are you familiar with the source material? I am, I know who Neil Gaiman is. I've not him. read anything yeah. he's done. I know him too, but I, I cannot really say that I am familiar with this particular property. And I tried checking out American Gods during its run, and I think I got through a couple of episodes. I don't know what kind of uh, involvement he had in bringing that to, uh, what was it, Stars? It was one of the smaller pay. Epics or Stars, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it took forever for uh, this. Sandman, I think, is is 15 years old as a property. It may be younger, maybe older. Don't quote me. Um, but he's hand-on in this one. He's got an EP credit. Okay. And he's been heavily involved in the development. And for it, it's, it's one of those fantasy stories. It's, let's try this. It's like the best way to describe it is it's Game of Thrones, in that you need a brain. You need to be able to follow a, a number of plot points and try to see how they're going to weave together to be able to, and you're going to have to give it, to be able to, to get into it, and you're going to have to give it more than, than one episode. Now, I've watched three of ten. I have all ten. I'm going to okay. get back to it. I've watched three of ten episodes. It's moody. It's very intelligent. It's compelling. And you can tell that it's, even though at the point I stopped watching, that it, it hasn't gotten to its relevant questions. It's debate what it wants to get to. You can tell that it's heading in that direction. And it's humanity's place in the world. Um uh, a bunch of others a bunch of other themes and I like the fact that it's moody, esoteric, and it's taking its time developing things. Um it tells a story of Morpheus, nice name, huh? Right. And he's he, he's he controls dreams. He's known as Dream. He controls the dreaming world. He's been uh, summoned by a wizard in 1916 Victorian London, Victorian England, because the wizard wants him to bring back his son from the dead. Now, he couldn't really do it, but the wizard decides at the behest of, of one of Dream's creations to imprison him in a glass cage where he sits for more than a century before being friend being freed by his elderly son's lover of 80 some odd years. Um, when this wizard um, kidnapped him essentially, he stole his, his tools, what he needs to function in the real world. Magic sand, a ruby, and his helm, 
which is essentially a mask. Throughout the centuries, those things have been dispersed. Now, once he's freed, he returns to his, his, his realm, the dreaming realm. But he goes, returns to our world, the real world, in search of his, what he calls his tools. Because if in the, his, his century-long absence during that time, everything's basically gone to hell in the real world, in his dreaming world. And he needs those tools to set things straight. And that's where I left off. I'm like, okay, I get it. Boom. Let's rock and roll. And that's when the, the narrative and the action started started picking up. So far, I like the performances from Tom Sturridge. Interesting choice they made. Um, are you familiar with the character John Constantine in the DC Universe? I am, yeah. Constantine appeared in the original graphic novel by Gaiman. Okay. But in the, in the series, she, she's been made Joanna Constantine. They changed that character. So... So is this a DC-owned yes, it is. graphic yes, novel? It is. Okay. Yes, it is. Thoroughly enjoyable, dark, brooding, and very interesting. So, yeah, highly anticipated. Maybe the buzz is worth it. Um, if you're not familiar with the source material or you're not a geek like I am, it might take you a minute to get into this. Right. Well, I know, um, you know, we've talked about Netflix quite a bit on our show here where, you know, we've been critical of the of, of this streaming company because a lot of what they do is, is not the greatest. But, uh, you know, does this... Are things like the Sandman capable of helping maybe get Netflix out of this rut of not having quality original content? Um, it's definitely quality. Uh, I would argue, and, and, and I think we both stated this at some point, Netflix has been a case of throw as much stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks right. quality or, or otherwise. Yeah. This is, is a big buzz quality program. Now the, the question is, are people ready to forgive and forget and buy into this? Yeah. Now it's, it's been in production for a couple of years. Right. Pre-production production prior to all their troubles. So can this one do it? I don't know. I doubt it. Not by itself. Netflix has got to. Netflix needs more properties that have the type of buzz this does. Remember, yeah, I don't. Netflix really started to hit its stride for better or worse. I think when they hit upon those shows that a created buzz. Or had buzz coming in. Um, Orange is a New Black. Yeah, came out of nowhere. Um, the Kevin Spacey series House came of out Cards. of nowhere. Yeah, came out of nowhere. By the same token, right in that same window, you had them with was it four Marvel series? Yeah, B-list characters that generated buzz with the fanboys, and they stuck around. So you know. They need a scenario like like that, I think. Right. 
Well, and I think another problem that they've <clears throat> they've gotten in their own way too, and and maybe stumbled along the way by canceling a lot of their programming that people seem to enjoy. And you know, sometimes after a season, sometimes after two seasons, sometimes they just you know inexplicably just cancel something. And I think a lot of people. You know that draws a lot of attention, but not such good attention from the from the fans and and people just kind of wonder what Netflix is doing. And you know this this kind of based on how they've kind of acted over the last few years, this is the kind of series that I could be I could easily see get canceled after one season just because why not? Let's cancel it. We don't need it. We just wanted it to may, get the yeah. It may not be mainstream enough. That's I true mean, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see exactly what you're talking about because it, although it's 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 HIPAA word still, although it's cool with the fanboys, you know, before reading about the casting issues related to this property, I wasn't I wasn't keen on it. And then after reading about it and and how Gaiman pushed back on fanboys complaining about casting I'm like okay I'm, I'm at least gonna give this a chance and when I when I realized it was premiering Friday I'm like let me get in touch with Netflix so you know that was that was enough to interest me right. but the, I I could easily see them at this point in time saying okay that's enough we're done but then again I didn't see the success of the gray man and the fact that they want to turn that into a, a, a universe for Netflix, which yeah. is really, really <laughs> as much of a guilty pleasure. That is, it's like, really? Okay. Well, it did, it did stay in the uh, Netflix top 10 for like three days or whatever. And now all of a sudden everybody just assumes that, Hey, let's just create a franchise of the gray man. It was number one for eight days in a row. Okay. Yeah. There you go. But is that enough? I mean, I, I guess it would be fine if, if like, if they can e extrapolate what that means. Like, what does that mean that it was the best movie in theaters for two months? I mean, you know what I mean? Because how do you, what's the, what's that equivalent to that you were number one for eight days on Netflix? You know what it is? It's self created buzz. That is true. I mean, it's, 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 it's that, that, little metric is enough to possibly to get people to say okay let's let's take a look at what's what what what's going on with this movie right. and it's, it's basically a two-hour international cliche mess yeah with its charms courtesy of of ryan gosling and chris evans who had to know they were in a piece of schlock. So we're yeah. just going to roll and have fun with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, and I think, uh, you know, the Sandman will probably generate some buzz. I think at least with some of the diehards out there, it might not be like one of those. It's going to be in the Netflix top 10 all the time, or maybe in the top two spots, but I think it'll generate some buzz. And, you know, there are, I think there are enough people that, are going to probably have some interest in it. I'll probably watch it at some point as well. Why not? I mean, it seems like it uh, is sort of up my alley. So I, I, I have some interest in that. Um, but overall, 
Sounds like you, you you've had a little fun with the first three episodes and want to see a little bit more on this, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm definitely going back to it, but I'm I'm in the middle of finishing Bosch. So okay. I've cool. got two more episodes of the original first one of Bosch before he went to free freebie. Is it freebie? Yeah. Freebie, freebie. yeah, yeah. Okay. So gonna finish that this weekend, I think. Okay. Well, we're going to stick with streaming here um, with your last review, and that's I Am Groot. Now, this is a, um, it's a, it's a short episode series. It's not like a full-length episode because I don't know how much people could really stand to have a Groot show be like 30 minutes long or whatever. Um, but I will say that there's a lot of interest probably from some people that just love Groot um, in this, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I will admit that I finally did watch my first full series on Disney Plus, and I never expected it. Those Monsters at Work. My wife and I just randomly picked it one day and watched the entire ten episode run, and it was not that great, but it wasn't terrible either. So here is uh, I am Groot. Uh, is this worth anybody's time? Uh, in even even in short spurts of, of these episodes, I mean they're five minutes. Yeah, I did all. I did all. Well, no, they're about four minutes. I did all five minutes, all all five of them, in one sitting yesterday, and I laughed out loud a few times okay. because they they whoever put this together, and I I should have looked. They they toyed with the 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 character's personality. They really brought it out, and they basically a good time well as an adult do you want to watch him yeah you want to just randomly say hey i want to watch a group cartoon <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah maybe because there's there there are instances the first thing i thought of was looney tunes and how in some regards a couple of the shorts worked in that looney tunes kind of way yeah you know what i mean yeah and um I found myself laughing out loud in two or three of them. So I don't know how Disney's marketing these things as say, hey, how about a little break between episodes? Yeah. Try this. But it, it's like something, you'd, a short you'd see in between a movie, right. a double feature back yeah. in the day as I date myself. <laughs> but you could go through them in the seating in one sitting and have a good time with them. And they do get Vin Diesel, yeah, to uh, yeah. return the voice of character. I was, I was shocked to see Bradley Cooper back, yeah. And now, is is Rocket in this five, these he's, five minute shorts? He's he's in one of them, okay. So, but none of the other Guardians characters are right. Well, it's 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 got to be pretty rare for a uh. Five, you know, basically a 20 minute episode. If you want to put them all together to have Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel in the same programming, that's uh, kind of a nice little coup there for Disney Plus to have. Uh, I'm sure they paid them pretty handsomely for this, you know, this work they did, but uh, not many digit, you know, streaming short sh uh, series of any kind can, can gloat with that kind of a cast, correct? And and now they have a good time with it. I'm, I'm not going to fault anybody for this. The fact, look, the fact that it, the shorts reminded me of Looney Tunes yeah. is a feather in their cap. It really, really is. Especially 
given the constraints on um, what you do with uh, characters nowadays. You know what I mean? Right. So, hey, okay. enjoy. All right. Well, I am Groot. It's sort of a not what you expect, but hey, you know, it's a couple couple of episodes. Why not get it done in one sitting? Probably do something while you're watching it. Who knows? Maybe get a laugh out of it. I did watch the Doug days when they had uh, the Doug, the dog from Up. Doug, he had like one of these like short little five minute you know episodic run, you know, and it was pretty harmless. And there were some funny moments, and I'm sure that's probably you know, what I am Groot is pretty similar to in that same vein. So sure. Why not? I'll, I'll sign up for it. I'll watch. I am Groot. <laughs> why not? Well, to close out, we're going to talk uh, more streaming because why not? And uh, the big news is, you know, my favorite streamer, HBO max is officially going to be merging here in maybe the near future. I guess uh, at some point the apps will become one with discovery plus, of course, the merger has, sort of been in place now for a while and unfortunately there's been some kind of rocky news here lately with hbo max as they've completely removed six films that were hbo max originals from their um streamer and they've also canceled a number of projects that were hbo max centric one of it, one of which was batgirl leslie grace starring as batgirl brendan frazier was in there michael keaton's batman um a lot of a lot of star power in that film got up to about a 90 million dollar production budget um before and or during covid and they finally finished it everything was ready to go it was ready to be released whenever hbo max wanted it and the new leadership has said no no thank you we're just going to put you in the box and you're never going to see the light of day they've also uh, done that to the scoob animated sequel as well and uh, what appears to be a number of other hbo max projects so I guess my my concern here, George, is is this a bad sign for uh, for projects and content at HBO Max? Uh, you know what? I don't know. I've I've adopted a kind of wait and see attitude on this because if 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 we're being honest and we're going back to the the genesis of HBO Max. When Warner Brothers or Time Warner, were they Time Warner back then? I think they were still Time Warner. Yeah. When they said they were coming out with their own streaming service and it was going to be named HBO something, the first question that hit my my mind is, okay, why are you going to do originals on this thing when you have HBO already? Right. It seemed redundant. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and mind you, HBO wasn't just a throwaway. HBO is a marquee. Oh yeah, brand for lack of a better term. Right. So that was a curious decision back then. If you look at the cuts that are coming. They are with the originals side. Now, the guy who ran the original, the, the HBO Omax originals side, that's where cuts are coming from. Right. On that end. Now, the guy who ran HBO and, and content from HBO signed a five-year contract last week. Yeah. Um, 
it's bad for quote unquote HBO Max originals. Yeah. I think I think David Zaslav has come in and said, why do we need HBO Max originals or a differentiator when we have HBO and its library of really classic content? Right. And um, I also I also think he saw what prior management did as far as cratering box office money. And he looked at that and said, movies in general should not be a loss leader, period. Right. I mean, I think some people are looking at this the wrong way. I think this makes sense in light of the... Uh, as far as ditching originals, original movies and, and whatnot, I think it makes makes sense in light of his belief that in, in theatrical, which which has been publicly stated. Right. So yeah. I mean he hasn't even been subtle about it. Yeah, and, and that was you know it was pretty promising earlier when they said you know moving forward we're we're investing in theatrical release movies which we were we talked about that when it was announced and it's very promising. I guess my biggest concern is you know and I I guess part of it is they don't really have to worry so much about inundating you with content when you have all of the Discovery Plus stuff coming over. So you probably don't need to think about it like, well, we need to fill up all this space because you already kind of are with the Discovery Plus stuff. Now, granted, most of that, if not all of it, is non-scripted programming. But I look at things like Hacks, for instance, which is a show that I really think is one of the better comedies out there right now in streaming and just in, in general. That's probably a, a show that could be on the chopping block because of this unless hbo decides well we'll take it you know or, or i don't know if that's something that could happen but you know there's a lot of programming on there that people have enjoyed you know um, tokyo vice is, an, is a max original the flight attendant is a, is a max original but then i also look at some of the movies that might get impacted even more so no sudden move a, a movie that you and i liked a steven soderbergh film is a Max original that was released on HBO Max. So I, I kind of wonder if, A, will that movie get scrubbed like those six other HBO Max movies got scrubbed from HBO Max's library? And moving forward, does that mean you're not going to see that type of investment on good, solid movies that would remind you of a good time at, in, in the fall of 1970 watching a nice little thriller do those movies fall by the wayside? Because like you just said, they're not interested in losing money at the box office and a movie like No Sudden Move would probably never get made for theatrical release. You know what? I, I, I think in some respects they have to have an open mind because with all due respect, Soderbergh is still Soderbergh. Yeah. He's, yeah. Not, just a, he's not just a director. He's a producer. Right. So, you know, they'll give him his little vanity project here or there with a limited theatrical release, maybe. Yeah. And, and you know, everything will be right in the world. I mean, I, I really hope they have the 
integrity and temerity to bring back some of these smaller films to theaters. I really right. do. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, you know, it just broke in the last couple hours. Um, they announced the merger of HBO Max and Discovery. So, yeah, and it looks like they're they're looking at the possibly a, an ad free tier like they have. I don't know. They didn't really discuss pricing or anything like that, but, um, you know, or even a new name or however it might work. But apparently it's going to launch in the summer of 2023, uh, you know, which is fine. I, I think a lot of the biggest thing for me, I think, is going to be price point because I really I mean, I'll watch the Food Network every once in a while, and I used to watch it a little bit more than I do now. But I don't really think there's anything on Discovery Plus that really intrigues me. So if the price raises considerably higher with this merger, I don't know that I'd be so interested in that, even though I still really love the, the library that HBO Max provides. But I think that's going to be the biggest selling point for a lot of people is, yeah, you're combining you know, two streaming sites that are going to put, produce a lot of content, but what's the price going to be? And I, I'm sure they're going to hammer out those details, but, you know, they're working on a, a $3 billion, you know, they're trying to cut costs and find $3 billion in savings with this merger. So, you know, shelving Batgirl and Scoob and all these other movies and, you know, trying to get tax write-offs and other things makes me wonder if they're going to have to raise the price considerably to try to make up some of that ground and then you'll they'll hope that they didn't alienate their customers to the point where they say forget it i don't want to pay twenty dollars a month for hbo because i don't care about discovery plus or i don't want to pay 20 bucks a month for discovery plus because i don't care about hbo but see they can't afford on the hbo side max or otherwise they can't afford to cut too much this much i i i haven't watched it in a while Okay. Okay. But I, I went through last night to check the hubs. Yeah. And there's plenty of stuff there. They, oh, yeah. They'd be nuts to touch because I think you and I both agreed it's, it's, it's probably been our favorite streaming service. There's yeah. just too much good stuff there. Too much good stuff. And, you, and they, they cannot devalue the product on the HBL side and, and, there is, I don't think there's a lot of leeway there. Discovery Plus, I subscribe. I, because you want to know why I subscribe to it? Because right. it's cheap. Yeah. Is there there's anything some... worthwhile? I mean, I know there's a lot, a lot of the cooking shows probably, but then there's also like, you know, House Hunters and things like that, that, you know, I mean, not really up my alley, but I don't know. Is it, is that even worth the, it's probably worth it because you're getting an entirely new audience compared to like the people that usually probably subscribe to HBO. But is that really a worthwhile, I mean, are they going to get good content with that merger? Uh, you know, I only watch for, I'm hooked on backyard barbecue and it's okay. a competition show. Okay. Um, I'll watch a Michael Simon show once in a while. Cause he's a Cleveland guy, Yeah. but there isn't a lot that I watch there. I, I we I, I subscribed and my my son and his fiance like it and it's like okay it's seven bucks a month I'm not gonna yeah. worry about it and I it doesn't 
Personally, I don't think it adds any value to HBO Max in any way. Now, so do you think can, that? Do you kind of think that maybe because I, I don't I don't think original programming on HBO is going anywhere because of this. I mean, everybody's concerned about like Westworld or something, but Westworld's probably going to end soon because it's kind of run its course. But then I know a lot of people were concerned about the Last of Us video game uh, property that's being optioned into an HBO series. It doesn't sound like the HBO content that would appear on Sunday night, Monday, Friday is going to be impacted by this. But do you think it could be strengthened? Like some of these shows, like Hacks, for instance, could be a show that maybe they move over? Because I think it's popular enough to where they could slot that in somewhere on HBO's schedule, especially given the pandemic's delaying of several shows. And they they had to, they, they haven't really had a steady release of new programming like they once did. Wouldn't it be easy to say, well, flight attendant, you can you can come over. Tokyo Vice, you can come over. Hacks, you can come over to the HBO brand and you know get the same money that they need to produce. But then now you have extra content, so you're not running back-to-back episodes of Westworld for two weeks in a row before something new comes out. Here, here's here's everything I need to know, and it's this broke at three o'clock. Warner Brothers Discovery to spend dramatically more on HBO slash HBO Max and lock up majority of Casey Bloy's top team. Casey Bloy's is the director or the 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 executive I was talking about earlier. Okay. That's yeah. That they this is strategic. I think they really understand where their bread is buttered. Yeah. And and you know. I think I think they cut the heart out of international, knowing that America's number one export is guess what? Entertainment. It has been for a couple decades. Right. And and they think American programming can play anywhere for the most part. If you live out of the country, that's not a good thing because it's it's kind of disrespectful to your your way of life, I guess, in some respects, not, not getting, giving you something that, uh, is, um, relatable to you. Right. Which Netflix, not that you or I watch the content, but Netflix does cater to a lot of their international markets with programming, whether it's good or bad, I do not know, but they at least have, several options out there for people all over the country, you know, all over the globe to be able to, you know, watch relatable type programming. And, you know, HBO Max has a few of those kinds of shows, but not really as much as a Netflix does to cater to those audiences, which is, again, for you and me, we probably don't care because we're not really watching a lot of that stuff anyway. But yeah, overseas, you're probably not going to see a lot of big numbers because if you don't have the programming to back it up, you can only watch so much of the American programming before you want to watch some of your own type of programming. Correct. And, you know, but see, you're right. We don't know how it, how international programming affects Netflix dollar or bottom line. Is it a plus? 
is it a is it a positive or negative? We don't right. know that. And I'm sure they, they haven't broken it down anywhere. So all we know is that the past two quarters they've lost combined one point two million pair of eyes. Yeah. So, you know, I think I think Zaslav, David Zaslav is putting his money on what's worked. And basically that's just smart business. Well, I think I feel a little bit better now talking to you about it. Uh, I do hope though that hacks for whatever reason, I hope hacks makes the cut, which it probably won't, but uh, it is a great show. One of the better comedies outside of Ted Lasso going right now. Uh, Gene smart, brilliant. Uh, Would love to see, see that continue on or, you know, be see, HBO or something. But see, that's right in, in HBO's wheelhouse. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. That's typical HBO. It may yeah. have been developed on the other side, but that's HBO. I don't if they're if they're doubling down on HBO slash HBO Max, I don't see where that goes anywhere. I agree. I, I definitely agree there. Um it's definitely one of their I mean it's it's been prolific with awards and it's certainly I would imagine it it continues to get greenlit for multiple seasons because people watch it, not just because it wins Emmys. But, you know, at the end of the day, people need to watch the programming for them to greenlight multiple seasons. So hopefully, uh, you know, this this is just a, a blip in the road where, you know, am I am I upset that I will never be able to watch the Batgirl movie or Superwoman or whatever? Probably not. But it just seemed like, you know, you're, you're really kind of, I mean, I understand the tax write-off is probably going to put you even or maybe even be better than the 90 million that you, you know, splurged on with the Batgirl budget. But at the end of the day, it, it's got to be pretty disheartening for the people that are working with this company. We saw Christopher Nolan leave Warner Brothers because of some of the issues he had with them and their streaming and their their desire to, to put everything on HBO Max and not care so much about theatrical. And then this kind of validates Nolan a little bit where it's, it's sort of a sinking ship, but at the same time, they've also talked about, we're going to invest in theatrical release movies. We want to make blockbusters. We're Warner brothers for crying out loud. You know, this is our game. You know, this is what we do, but then people like Christopher Nolan leave and, you know, you kind of wonder maybe Nolan had something, maybe he was, uh, was right in leaving there. Uh, at the time, I definitely, at the time he was, yeah. With, with, without a doubt, without a doubt. Now let's see how hard, and you know, it's coming. Warner brothers will work to get him back. Now that they publicly stated we're in the, the, the studio theatrical arm is, look, we're, we're committed to, putting movies in theaters. And you know, an interesting thing about all this is one thing um, that's been discovered with a couple recent releases that eventually made it to streaming, the Batman, a case in point, the fact that it was a huge theatrical hit helped subscriptions on HBO Max, period. Yeah. yeah. So it it doesn't work the other way around. It's like and I trash the 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 strategy when it was stated. It's like 
you're and I, I you're, you're cutting out a third of your revenue. You can't do movies of scale that way. Right. Do you think there's a way that they can coax? I mean, aside from the almighty dollar, is there a way that they could coax a Christopher Nolan back to Warner's, though? I mean, it seems like, you know, he's going to go here with Universal with Oppenheimer. Obviously, they're going to be putting that probably on Peacock at some point. Um, I mean, is it maybe people like Denis Villeneuve saying, no, 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 you should come back. You know, I'm still doing Dune. I'm able to do my stuff here theatrically. You still get all the money in the world to make your movies. Clint Eastwood still gets, you know, a hundred or seventy-five million dollars to make his films. I mean, is there a way to coax? Because it seems like it's not about the money. Because I'm sure Warner Brothers probably said, "Look, what do you want to stay? We're going to give you the money to make your movies. You can make whatever the hell you want, even if it makes sense or doesn't make sense. We'll still give it to you." Do they have to repair this? How do they repair a relationship with Nolan? It's already been done. Bring me the head of Jason Kalar. <laughs> that I, yeah. I really. Now I think it's just a matter of how happy they can make him financially. But with with Kalar gone, you know the commitments there, yeah. and publicly stated. I think that that would have been the stumbling block to him returning. Kalar still being there. And him stating the future is streaming, blah 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 blah. No filmmaker of any merit wants to hear that. Hear that in this day and age, I don't care. Right. I I really don't. With all due respect, there would have been no other way to see Top Gun Maverick for the first time. Right. No other way. None. Right. All right. Well, there, you know, I I feel like I'm a, I'm in a little bit better place because at first I was like. Is this going to be the the downfall of HBO Max? Are they going to like shoot themselves in the foot just as they're getting ready to to maybe really challenge Netflix? Is that dumb? I mean, you know, I already believe it's better than Netflix, but um, you know, the subscriber base backing it is you know is what people really want to see, not just the quality. They want to see the fact that people are actually watching it more than Netflix. But I feel a little bit better space, and and hopefully that this is just. Uh, maybe a misinterpreted bump in the road by people and that the money is going to still flow because a lot of people said, you know, once this merger happened, then all this money was made available to where they could actually produce content because that was the thing that Netflix was doing was just out producing everybody because they had all these billions of dollars to do so. But HBO max now with the merger, maybe they'll reinvest into the blockbuster and we'll get, Christopher Nolan back or we'll have Denis Villeneuve with Dune and whatever else he wants to do. I'm sure, you know, Warner brothers wants to try to keep him for the next 30 years. So hopefully this will be the, uh, the start of maybe a refocus possibly for, for this I, company. And I, I, I think that's the purpose of all this. I really do. I think they I think Zaslav, felt they were going in too many directions and trying to do too much. Right. Which is his right. right. Um, but, you know, all the all the chicken little stuff, for lack of a better term, everything I read quote unquote on social media, you know where all the criticism was coming from? All the screaming, it's coming from the fanboys who freaked out over Batgirl. 
<laughs> that is true. I did not hear a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the fans of Scoob Haunted Holiday or whatever. <laughs> Although I did see like a tweet, which this is funny because of course they would say this, but I think the uh, producer of, of Scoob, the sequel basically said that the movie was practically done and that it was an amazing movie and all this stuff. And it's like, it's easy to call something like that amazing when no one's ever going to see it ever. So. Well, maybe, you know, they could always sell it. But don't they, they would have to sell it for probably, I mean, I don't know what, it was kind of confusing because at first you're like, well, we can, you know, we can get a tax break on these movies not being released or a tax break on these movies being scrubbed from HBO Max's library. I don't know exactly what the tax break is going to be on Batgirl. Is it $90 million to save the fact that they're not going to have to, you know, is it, is it more? I mean, you know, because why not just release it? Because what if you get a pile of new subscribers because Batgirl was released and people like it or whatever, or Scoob, you know, people might like Scoob and then you, you know, maybe you're not going to make your money back because it's, how do you tangibly make money back on a streamer unless you get, you know, a one for one, you know, monetary value on subscribers versus the production budget, but they've got to be doing well enough to just say, yeah, we'll get, we'll get our money back. And then some with this tax break, we don't even want to sell it because most people thought they were going to sell it. And they're like, no, it's, it's, it'd be better off just to just sit in the drawer and never see the light of day. Yeah. They, they do have 93 million subscribers, which you yeah. know what it is I'm, I'm, they've been around for 18 months. I'm sorry. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it really is impressive. I don't know how many Disney plus is up to. Is it Disney Plus? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let, let's let's find out real quick. Yeah. I think they were at 121. But well, they've even seen a drop too, if I'm not mistaken. There were some drops in subscribers from Disney Plus as well. Well, I, I I think we both agreed that that audience was finite. Yeah. This has 137.7 um, million. This is uh, through Statista. Okay. Not you know. sure if that's accurate or or not, but quarter quarter two as of quarter two, 137.7. Now, I don't know if that is Disney Plus only or if that includes like ESPN Plus and Hulu or or whatever. But, you know, they, uh, they, they just say the number of Disney Plus subscribers reached new high of 137.7 million. Yeah, there you go. So, not a surprise that they're doing well, but, you know, I, I think they're they're now they're starting to, to develop not develop programming, but they're starting to realize that they can have mature audience programming. You know, they've put Deadpool and the Marvel movies, the Marvel shows that were on Netflix now on there. Logan, you know, Deadpool three is in production. So, you know, they've started to, I think their, their subscriber base is only going to go up because they're starting to acknowledge that they can't just put all the adult stuff on Hulu. They might need a little bit here just for the sake of all the fans of, Marvel Cinematic Universe or you know whatever it may be. 
Yeah, which you know the irony there. Hulu is more profitable than Disney Plus. Really? Yeah. So hmm. you know what? <laughs> they they have a, a a real issue on their hand in the coming years, next couple of years. They have to decide what to do with Hulu because I think I their contract expires with uh, with Comcast in total totality. So. Okay. I guarantee there's going to be a lot of interest, especially if, you know, not not to say that it's because of a property like Prey, but content being able to have, you know, studio movies on your streamer, you know, that, I mean, we talked about A24 being up for sale and, you know, the, the amount of money that people thought that they could get for A24 movies, which there's a lot of great A24 movies, but there's only been one A24 movie to make a hundred million dollars. And that was this year with um, everything all at once. I, the 25 words that are in the title, but um, you know, you wonder how much, if those 20th century Fox type properties like prey could be on there, probably get a pretty penny for those. If you're HBO or Paramount or universal or Apple or Amazon wanting to expand your library. You could, but I don't. I don't think Disney wants to sell them off. They've, oh, got, a, they, they've got a ton of franchises there. Oh yeah, and they, absolutely. They, and they've got stuff that they can just reboot willy nilly that they shouldn't. But it's Disney, so guess what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They will eventually, and maybe, yeah. maybe a year from now, maybe five years from now, and maybe twenty years from now. I can see somebody saying, "Point, hey, let's re redo Die Hard." Okay, so yeah. you know, among other things. So yeah, absolutely. All right, well, lively discussion as always. What do you have coming up next week? I know the release calendar is a little thin, but uh, what is there anything on the horizon? I have to check the streaming calendar because, yeah, you're right. It's a bit thin next week. It's very thin next week. Yeah. Um, were you able to were you able to catch up on uh, I know we we sort of discussed Thor Love and Thunder but uh were you able to catch up on Minions or Nope at all? I saw Minions. I was that money. good? Okay, was that any was that look, worth it? Look, I've got I'll I'll be honest with you. I've got a weakness. Yeah. See? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I've got Minions stuff all over the place. Or in storage. It's not quite my Star Trek obsession yeah. for a while there. Yeah. Um it is what it is. It's it's it was a bit sillier than I'm used to from those movies, but I enjoyed it. Okay. You know what you know what got me though? This tells you how crabby I'm getting. I made sure to book our tickets late at Valley View. Yeah. Like ninety minutes before the film was supposed to start. We're the only one who bought tickets, right? Oh, okay. We get there, and all of a sudden, guess what? We're not the only one who bought tickets. And most <laughs> of them are, are are under five, and I'm like... What time did you see it? It was a matinee. I was begging okay. for trouble. That's Yeah, I was going to say, usually in the animated fair, I like to go later in the uh, in the evening, if possible, just to avoid too many kids, because, yeah, they can... Nothing against them and their kids. That's what you expect, but they do certainly ruin the experience at times. 
it, it it was the only time we could fit it in, so we we bit the bullet. But you know, okay. did you uh, I enjoyed it. Watch, did you get a chance to see Nope, the Jordan Peele nope. movie? No, nope. <laughs> okay. Nope, nope, nope. With the Browns and everything, yeah, you know, I I didn't feel like thinking. <laughs> well, hopefully, I mean, it's definitely something on my list as well. So, um, but uh, all right. Well, uh, as always, you can follow George at by George Thomas on Twitter. You can read all of his content in the Beacon Journal at beaconjournal.com. All of his Browns coverage, movie reviews, streaming reviews. As always, George, we definitely appreciate you stopping by. All right, sir. You take it easy. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high-impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.